Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, our text this morning is verses 26 and 27 of God's holy word. When you look at the book of Romans, especially chapter 8, it is just a continual, continual encouragement to the people of God. There are so many blessings that are spoken of within this book that just, just move our hearts so much towards our Lord and thankfulness and praise and adoration, so much gratefulness that the people of God should have because of the many things that, that the apostle has already elaborated on about the blessing of salvation. We have, have that security and that assurance of our salvation that we are justified by faith alone. He's labored the point that we are justified by faith alone. We are encouraged to know that God is doing this great work within us by the Spirit of God whom He has granted to us, who is, who is our pledge of the inheritance to come, who is our seal, the one who is doing this great work within us, bringing us out of darkness into the light of the sun, who has delivered us from death into life, to walk in the newness of life, to help us mortify the flesh. All kinds of things that we learn of, of the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. We recently, in chapter 8, were reminded of our adoption by our Lord. All the people of God are treated as firstborn sons who inherit all that the Father has. We are heirs and joint heirs with our Lord Jesus Christ. These are true of every believer. And the apostle also addresses within this chapter not only of our status before our Lord, the things that are declared about us, this work that is going on conforming us to the image of Christ, which he's going to elaborate further on later. But he also addresses the current state of the people of God, giving us such encouragement during the times of suffering and of pain and of sorrow. He says that they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The great day of our glorification is what the apostle points our our eyes to, to reflect upon and to yearn for. The great day in which all will be made whole, all the people of God. It is the great day that creation itself even longs for, as the apostle says in chapter 8. Creation is longing for this day, that it too will be freed from corruption, that it will be set free from the curse. It is a day that not only creation groans, but he says that we groan in ourselves as well, that we are desirous to be freed from the corruption. And so we long for the day that is to come, the great day of glorification. We consider the sinfulness that we currently are battling, our shortcomings, our failures. And it makes us long for the day in which we will no longer struggle as such. We have such a a future before us of indescribable blessings for the people of God. Though these things are to come, we look forward to them. The apostle has something else to tell us about the present time. The great blessing for the people of God in the present. This great intimacy that that the Lord has with his people to... Give them exactly what they need in the times that they need it. We have so much to look forward to, but even now God is providing a great work. He is providing more than we can ask or think. Because even now in the areas that we lack, the Spirit of God is perfecting. That's the amazing thing to consider. The current work the current ministry of the Spirit of God that he is doing in the people of God. We look toward the future, yes, but how do we get through our current circumstances? Perhaps those are things that we think to ourselves, yes, we have much to look forward to, but what about the present time? What about the struggles that we endure even now? What does the Lord say to us now in our times of, of, 
failure, in our times of not knowing how we ought to do, how we ought to be, how we ought to pray. That's what the apostle is going into here. Sometimes we don't know how we ought to pray because we don't know God's will. And it may make it because we don't know those things. It may make us anxious about coming to the Lord in prayer. What is it that we are to say? What is it we are to ask for? And what the apostle goes into here in this passage is this truth here: that the Holy Spirit prays and intercedes on our behalf, according to God's will for us. And this is yet another great source of comfort for God's people: the Holy Spirit intercedes and he perfects our prayers before the Lord. So if you would please stand as we read God's word as we give honor to it asking our Lord to do a mighty work within our hearts. This is God's holy inspired inerrant authoritative infallible words. Let us give our attention to the holy scripture. Verse 26. In the same way the spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Spirit of God that you have granted to us. We thank you for his continued work as our intercessor. We thank you for his work as our advocate. We thank you that he represents us before you, that he perfects our prayers and the prayers that he offers to you. Oh, Lord, we know are according to your will. We may not know what your will is, but we know that he does. And we thank you, Father, for his, his work and helping us in our weakness. We pray, Father, that you would give us such, such comfort today to know that uh, we, we are being represented not only in heaven by our Lord Jesus, but also by the Spirit of God here whom you've granted. Let us rejoice in the work that he is doing in us and for us this day. To you be the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> We've already learned a number of things about the Spirit of God, about what it is that He accomplishes on behalf of believers, His sanctifying work that He is working in us, helping us to walk in the newness of life, doing that great work. That he also testifies and bears witness that we are the sons of God. He is the one who changes us, uh, bringing us from darkness, walking in the flesh, to walk in the spirit, to walk according to those things that are good and right in the sight of God. It is he who causes that yearning within us, looking forward to the great day in which we will be glorified in him. And yet at the very same time, he's not only bringing that about in us to yearn for that great day, but he is also doing a great work in us also to help us in our weakness as we are walking through the Christian life. As we are seeking to pray before the Lord and often we don't know what to pray. But we can rely on him to know that he is praying for us when we are at a loss. Or because of other circumstances that get in the way that we don't pray as we should. This is supposed to be an encouragement for the people of God to know that you have one praying for you. Prayer is so vital to the Christian life. We know that. We know that prayer is our communing with our Lord. And yet prayer is one of those areas of the Christian life in which we, we find ourselves lacking. Or we find ourselves trying to understand what it is that we need to be saying. Or that we need to be asking for. Because we only know those things that are revealed to us in the scripture. We have the revealed will of God that is in the scripture. And so we can know what it is that we need to be praying for, according to what the Word of God tells us. We know we need to be praying for our sanctification. We know we need to be praying on behalf of, of the lost and asking our Lord to save them. We know that we need to be praying that God would do a work within us, that we can walk in obedience to Him according to those things that we know. 
things that are revealed to us, but at the same time, then there are those things that we don't know. We have no idea of God's decreed will. We have no idea. We know the revealed will that's in the scriptures, but we don't know how that works out within each individual's life. We have no idea. And so there are certain circumstances that we find ourselves in or that we find our loved ones in, and sometimes we don't know what to pray. Do I pray for healing? What do I pray for? I don't know what your will is. And so often we put on there as we say our prayers, Oh Lord, if it be your will. Oh Lord, if it be your will. Because we're uncertain of what it is. We're uncertain of the outcome. We don't know what it is that our Lord has already determined about this situation. And so that's what we pray. If it be your will. Well, the wonderful thing is, is that when the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints, He doesn't pray, if it be your will. The Spirit of God knows the will of God. And the Spirit of God prays on behalf of the people of God in conjunction with the will of God. And this is a great encouragement for us. We lack in prayer, but the Spirit perfects our prayers. Here we have the apostle who is giving us another source of encouragement. He says in verse 26, as he begins to speak of the help of the Holy Spirit, we know the creation's groaning, waiting for its redemption, waiting for the day in which we will be glorified. We know that we are groaning in ourselves, but here he says, in the same way. In the same way as these give us encouragements to know that creation is groaning, that we are groaning, that this is prompted by the Holy Spirit of God. This is a great encouragement for the people of God. In this same way, here's another encouragement. That the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is in, in conjunction again with it's connecting us with our future hope. We have a future hope, but we have a present hope as well. The Spirit helps in our weakness. This particular word is very, very amazing. Here you have this compound word. And often what you have is you have a prefix and then you have the original root word. This particular word, we have the word helps, which is five letters in the English. It's actually 17 symbols in the Greek. Because... There are two prefixes that are put onto this word to emphasize it even more. You have the Greek word lambano, which is mean to take up or lay hold of, which is the root word. You have other passages of scripture that add one prefix to it that is anti-lambano, which is to help, to aid, to benefit. And then it puts on another prefix at the beginning, which means with. So you have this word which is so emphatic to give us an understanding of what it is that the Spirit is doing. That it means to lay hold of us and really pull us along in our Christian life. And this is the Spirit of God that is doing this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. What is He doing? He is coming under the burden. He is bearing it up. He is laying hold of us. And He is pulling us along. He helps us in our weakness. This word also, uh, the word helps, it's in the present tense, it's in the active voice, it's in the indicative mood, which all means this, it is presently true of the Romans that the Spirit is helping and aiding them, benefiting them, laying hold of them, pulling them along. It's in the active voice that this is what the Spirit of God is doing. It is His work. He is the one who is pulling them along and bearing under the weight and it is in the indicative mood, which is, this is a matter of fact. This is what the Spirit of God is doing. And if this is true, obviously, of what the Spirit of God is doing in the time in which Paul is writing this to the Roman church, which is going to be a great encouragement and a source of comfort and strength to them, considering that in a few years to come, you're going to have Nero, who's going to start the persecution of the church in Rome, that he's going to be wrapping them up in cloth and using them as 
human torches to light his land, uh, to light his gardens throwing them to the wild beast, all the different things that the people of God had endured, what are they going to come back to? They're going to come back to these truths. The Spirit helps in our weakness. And you can look at weakness in the sense of spiritual weakness, emotional weakness, physical weakness, any kind of weakness that we have, any limitations that we have. It is the Spirit who bears us up. It is the Spirit who carries us along. There are no conditions on this. It is a matter of fact that the Spirit of God at every moment of every day is helping you to live the Christian life. This is to encourage you, dear church. And again, it it goes back to some of the things that we've talked about beforehand. Where is it that we receive this source of strength to endure the trials that we, that we have come upon us? It's not because of your own endurance or your own strength. It is the Spirit of God who is bearing under the weight and carrying you along. He has laid hold of you. And He is helping you to live the Christian life. And specifically... He helps you in the area of prayer. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. And we have weaknesses too because we're finite, we're limited in knowledge, and we're sinful. And here He is to bear us up. But He helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. There are times, many times, often, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And we can look at that in the sense of we don't pray as we should, in the sense of perhaps even making the time to pray or to really involve ourselves into the prayer. And then there's times in which we don't know what to pray for. When someone is sick, when someone is on the verge of passing away, when you have a certain circumstance that is going to cause great stress and anxiety to you, What is it that you pray? Do you know the outcome? Do you know if God is going to deliver this person from death? Do you know if he's going to heal them? Do you know if he's going to allow you to to dodge the circumstance that's coming in, in your life that causes you great stress and anxiety? Do we know those things? Well, we we really don't. We have no idea. We like to, to say things like, the Lord will not put more on you than you can handle. Well, that's not true. Because all things are more than we can handle. So we like to then pray based in that kind of an idea that is a false idea. Then we like to pray assuming that we know what God's will is because we think to ourselves, well, if that were to happen, then that would just be too much for me. And so we don't pray if your will, if it's your will, we pray, deliver us. Save them. Deliver them. And then what happens when he doesn't? Then you endure the discouragement, the disappointment, perhaps bitterness. You assumed to know what the will of God was in that circumstance. You know, those, those are things that we can surely identify with. I remember one of our family members had passed away. We were at the hospital. One of my other family members had a small child who was also in the group praying for this one. Seemed as if she was going to pass. But the little one... And this mom was praying that that God would do this work and heal. You got this little this little kid. So in a few moments later, whenever our family member passed, this one's walking back and forth, just angry. How could the Lord not heal? How how could the Lord not bring her back from 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 death? Because. This little one, my little one was praying. How did he not hear? And it's sometimes as if, again, we assume to know what the will of God is in a circumstance. 
And then when it doesn't happen according to our desires, then it causes us pain, bitterness, all of that. You know, and that's a hard thing for sure. Because we do have a certain desire when it comes to different situations. You don't want to see your loved one pass. You want them to be here with you. You don't want to be without. And yet, it is needed that every believer be trusting in our Lord to say, not my will, but yours be done. But here's where the Spirit intercedes for us. We don't know how to pray. And sometimes we don't know how to pray because of our hearts are discouraged. Our emotions are amplified by our circumstances. It doesn't allow us to think clearly, so we don't know what to pray or how to pray. There were times in which I was yearning for a loved one in my family, and I went to the Lord in prayer, and I didn't have any words. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to get out of thought, because so much emotion is, is, is clouding your mind. There are times in which we lose heart because of the trial. There are times in which, unfortunately, even the people of God fall into a situation in which they stop praying. They stop praying because of whatever's going on. Sometimes we're just so tired, so worn out because of the trial. But in all of this, here's the good news. The Spirit himself intercedes. When you don't know what to pray or how to pray because even perhaps even sin has clouded your mind. The Spirit himself. This is, this is, this is emphatic again. God himself. The Spirit of God who dwells within you. He himself intercedes on your behalf. And we so need that. We need his, we need his assistance. We need his, his, his strength to bear up our, our burdens and to help carry us along. As one theologian said, in true prayer, we need the Holy Spirit. We've got to have him. Again, prayer is so vital to the Christian life and we find, find it so difficult at times. But prayer is necessary. Prayer should be as... as Easy to you is breathing, as natural to you is breathing. I like what John Bunyan says. John Bunyan, he defines prayer in this way. Prayer is sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things that God has promised according to his word with submission in faith to the will of God. But why is it so difficult? Sometimes we are prone to pray selfishly. Sometimes circumstances cloud us. Sometimes we just don't practice praying. That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? We don't practice praying. Well, if you don't start praying, then you're not going to get better at praying. There are ways in which we can learn to pray. And dear church, you need to be Prayer. You need to be praying. You need to be prayer warriors. You need to be lifting up your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to be lifting up your own circumstances. But we often pray in these repetitive prayers that have no power. They have nothing. Even as Joe Beakey says, our prayers are often like little toys that Satan can sleep beside. They're not the prayers of, of faithful people coming before the Lord, knocking down the doors of heaven on behalf of another or behalf of whatever is going on in our life. Remember how Jesus said to pray, you ask, you seek, you knock. You ask the Lord for whatever it is, you keep seeking after it, and then you're knocking down the doors of heaven. This is praying that, that you are absolutely involved in, that you are coming before the Lord. You need to be people of prayer. 
Thomas Watson, commenting on Acts chapter 12, whenever the angel had delivered Peter from prison, Thomas Watson, the Puritan, he says, it was the angel that got Peter out, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. We need to be people of prayer. And yes, there are times in which we don't know what to say because we only know God's revealed will. We know the things that God commands of us, how we ought to walk in obedience. We look to the Ten Commandments as a source of of that morality that we are to seek after, praying on behalf of others, etc., etc. But we are to be people of prayer even if we don't know the decreed will of God. It is not your job to know the decreed will of God. It is your job to pray for the things that you know are revealed within the Scripture. And sometimes the things that we don't know that we're praying for, the answer may be no. Because God has other plans. That's why we, we surrender it all to him. We submit it all to him and we say, oh Lord, if it be your will, let this occur. Oh Lord, if it be your will, save this person. If it be your will, deliver my family member from the brink of death. One writer says this, our ongoing, ongoing struggle with sin particularly affects our ability to pray. The good news is that your weakness in prayer should not cause you to be depressed because the Spirit promises to help you in prayer. Isn't that a great encouragement to know that? I don't know what to pray, but I know He does. I don't even have words because I don't know the situation so well And I'm trying to figure out what it is I need to say. And my heart is yearning for this person. I don't know what to say. He does. Maybe I'm praying in the wrong frame of mind. Maybe I'm praying selfishly. But the Spirit is interceding and He is praying on your behalf. And that is the great work that He does. He is interceding. He says, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You know, to intercede is to go between it is to go between two parties. It's to plead someone's, someone's case on behalf of them to another. You know, that's very, very much exactly what Jesus said that the Spirit of God would do. He's our advocate, right? He's the paraclete. He is the one who, who's called alongside of another. One writer says that in the first century, a paraclete was like a modern-day attorney one who would come alongside people to help them in times of trouble. And here you have the Holy Spirit who is coming alongside you. As Christ is our advocate in heaven, he's our intercessor in heaven. He's pleading his righteousness before the Father. And yet you have one who is on the earth who is in you, who is also representing you before the Father. This is such a source of great comfort to you and to me. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. He pleads our case. We have one in heaven who pleads for us. We have one in us who pleads for us. The one who is in us, who represents us before the Father. He brings our needs, whether emotional, spiritual, or physical, before the Father, needs that we don't even know we have. Do you know that? He brings before the Father needs that you don't even know you have. I think it was John Piper who said that the Holy Spirit brings before the Father a thousand needs that you have and you only know of two. Because he knows the deepest recesses of our souls. He knows exactly what it is that we need. And so he offers it in prayer to the Father. He intercedes with groanings. These deep sighs that are brought about by strong emotion. These are sighs that we already talked about. The creation groans. We groan. That's that that great sigh that is brought on by emotion. Which also speaks to the care and the affection that the Spirit of God has for you. The Spirit of God is not just some emotionless being. He is God. 
He is God who has emotion, who grieves over the disunity of his people as we went over last week. And so the opposite is true. When his people are unified, then he is joyful. So he has emotion. He's grieved. He has joy. He's disappointed. Has shows his displeasure, etc., etc., throughout so many passages of Scripture. And here it is that the Spirit of God is, is deeply sighing that strong emotion on behalf of the people of God. Also yearning perhaps for that same day in which he himself will glorify the saints. Dr. MacArthur says the spirit loves the saints so exceedingly that he yearns for that great day when delivered from every, every sin. That they will glorify God forever and ever in the perfection of holiness and joy. <clears throat> Even the Spirit groans for that day to deliver us. This idea of groaning, by the way, is not some, some allusion to tongues, by the way. When you have this, this word here that are groanings, these deep sighs, too deep for words. This is one word in Greek, and it's just speaking of it, the speechless, inexpressible. There's, there's no speech to be had here. So we're not talking about tongues. We're talking about the deep sighs of the Holy Spirit showing that great emotion that he is having for the people of God as he is bearing their burdens, as he is seeking to do what is according to God's will for their good. That's going to come about in verse 28. This intensity that he has with these deep emotions, carrying your burdens, this is speaking of, of words that are unspeakable. He doesn't have to speak. You know why he doesn't have to speak? Because it's not as if he's going to have the Father to know something that he doesn't already know. Because the Spirit is God. In perfect unity with the Father and the Son. They are one in essence. They are one in purpose. There's nothing that one doesn't know that the others do know. They have perfect knowledge of all things at all times. And here you have the Spirit of God who is groaning with that intensity. And he's doing it on behalf of us. He says for us, by the way. I want you to see that. The Apostle Paul is placing himself in here. The Apostle Paul is not saying that, well, this is something that I've already perfected. This is something that you need to know. The Apostle is saying... He does this for us, including the apostle himself. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But here you have no words that are needed. And there's no words that are needed because, again, you have the unity of the Godhead here. Verse 27 says, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is. There is that perfect unity within the Godhead. God knows himself, every aspect of himself, to the deepest recesses of who he is. 1 Corinthians 2.11, we read, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. God the Father knows the mind of God the Spirit. They are one. And so the Father, as he searches the hearts of his people, the deepest recesses of his people, it is the Spirit of God who is giving back to the Father exactly what is needed, praying on behalf of the people. There is no need for words. And do you know that even when we sin, the Spirit of God is still praying for you? He is still praying for you, even in your times of failure. And as we talked about here, he says, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Just as we were talking about, when we say, oh Lord, if it be your will, this is not true of the Holy Spirit. 
He intercedes. And as he intercedes, he is aware of all that we are ignorant of. And he is aware of all that is needed in this particular circumstance. And so that is what he brings before the Father. His intercession is in agreement with the decreed will of God. One writer says, In language we cannot understand, the Father searches the human heart, the abode of the Spirit, to hear the Spirit's prayer. When the Father hears His will being prayed by the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will, then the Father and the Spirit are in perfect harmony for the purposes of God to be accomplished in the believer through the instrument of prayer. They are in perfect harmony. He intercedes and prays for us the will of God. You know, there are times in which we find the Apostle Paul, when he prayed, it wasn't in accordance with the will of God. And so we see a different outcome even for the Apostle Paul because he didn't know. When you think of the thorn in the flesh that the Apostle had, Whatever it was. He says it was a messenger of Satan. Could it have been a messenger of Satan as a person? Could it have been a messenger of Satan as a demonic uh, entity? We don't know. But what we do know, it was a messenger of Satan. He prayed three times for the Lord to remove it. He didn't, it doesn't seem to imply that the apostle had prayed, Lord, if it be your will, remove this thorn and from my side. Remove this messenger of Satan. Doesn't seem to imply that. It's more implying that he asked three times for the Lord to remove this thorn that he had in the flesh. Perhaps because he was thinking, this is hindering me. This is some, I, can, I can be a more effective witness for you, O Lord, if you just get rid of this, this messenger of Satan. What did our Lord say? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. And think of this. The apostle was praying for this to be removed, thinking perhaps he would be a more effective witness for Christ. But because the Lord did not remove it, think of how even more effective of a witness he is for Christ. Because here you have the apostle who pins this in 2 Corinthians, and it's been close to 2,000 years, and yet that's the very passage that we use to each other to give us hope and to give us encouragement. We go back to that very instance in which the apostle is praying for his thorn to be removed, and we go back and we say, yes, you're praying for this, and it may not happen, but here's what God says. My grace is sufficient. That's what he said to Paul, and that's what he says to you. And think of how mightily the Lord used Paul as a result of that. And yet the apostle didn't know. The apostle didn't know whenever he was praying in, in Philippians chapter 1. He's telling the Philippian church, he's saying, For me to live, Christ, to, to die is gain. I'm torn between the two. I desire to go home and be with Christ. Yet it's probably better if I stay here and bear more fruit with you. He didn't know. He didn't have any idea. He could have been praying for the wrong thing. And yet the Lord God, the Spirit, was praying for the right thing. Here's one illustration, another illustration, to give an instance of this. A pastor loved by his people became grievously ill. The congregation prayed for the Lord to restore his health, but he died. At the funeral, a minister who had been a lifelong friend, a lifelong friend of the departed, made this remark to the assembled mourners. Perhaps some of you are in danger of arriving at the conclusion that the Heavenly Father does not hear prayer. But in this particular case, two prayers were probably opposing each other. You were praying, O oh God, spare his life, for we need him so badly. The Spirit's prayer was, take him away, for the congregation is leaning altogether too heavily upon him, not upon you, and the Father heard that prayer, end quote. We don't know what to pray, but the Spirit knows exactly what to pray. We don't know the outcome, but the Spirit does. We don't know the decreed will of God, but the Spirit does. 
and he intercedes and offers these prayers on behalf of the saints. Only on behalf of the people of God does the Spirit do this, this great work. Now, dear church, as you consider these things here, and as you go to the Lord in prayer, one, we need to understand the importance of prayer. You need to be a praying people. This is your time to commune with our Lord. And yes, you may not know the decreed will of God, but that doesn't mean that you stop asking or that you ask already giving up on whatever it is that you're seeking. We do that often too. We desire something. We desire for the Lord to move in this way or we desire to be used by the Lord in this certain way. And in the moments in which we are praying, we already defeat it. Because we automatically think to ourselves, well, this probably ain't going to happen anyway. Well, we don't know that. We don't know what the outcome is. But that doesn't mean we don't ask. If it is something honorable that is glorifying to the Lord, it is something that is revealed within Scripture that is honoring to the Lord, then yes, you ask and you seek it. You know, the... The example of prayer that warms my heart every time I I read it is Jesus teaching how to pray. Not the Lord's Prayer. He uses an illustration to, to give an understanding of how you ought to pray. And in Luke, he says, there was a man who had a friend who came from a far place. He came at midnight. And then he... He comes into the home of his friend. His friend is hungry and he doesn't have anything to eat. So the man who lives there goes to the neighbor and he begins to knock on the door of the neighbor and he says, I need three loaves. And you're only talking about a loaf being, uh, as some theologians have pointed out, maybe like a size of a biscuit. I need three loaves. And the neighbor who's on the inside says, Go away. The door's already shut, it's midnight. Go away. But the man keeps persisting, knocking on the door. And then the text says, because, uh, and the word means shamelessness. It says persistence. Because of his persistence or because of his shamelessness and continuing to knock, the neighbor got up and gave what was needed. And then Jesus says, so I say to you, ask, seek, and knock. You are to ask and to seek it out and to knock down the doors of heaven with your prayers. Not to be defeated in it. Well, here's here's one of the dangers I think that we also have is that because we believe so strongly in the sovereignty of God and we know that God's will, regardless, will come to pass, we sometimes say to each other, well, or maybe we not say to each other, but maybe we think, well, what's the sense of even praying for this? Because the outcome is going to be whatever God determines anyway. Because it's not as if God is in heaven wondering, what are they going to pray so I can get this thing done? He's already declared it. It's already going to happen. But the amazing thing is that God uses the prayers of his people to bring about his will. He's already determined the end from the beginning. And yet the means by which he brings his will about also is by using the prayers of his people. For instance, you have the encounter with Moses. The people of God have made an idol. They have bowed down and worshipped it, all of that. What does the Lord say to Moses? He says, leave me alone and let my anger burn against them. And I'll start over with you. What happens? Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. What are the nations going to say? That you brought them out here just to destroy them? And so the Lord relents from bringing that destruction upon the people. But think about this. Here the Lord had already determined that the Messiah was coming. And the Messiah was coming through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah. Moses is of the tribe of Levi. 
he's already said the Messiah is coming through Judah. If he had done what he said to Moses he was going to do, then that would have nullified what he said previously. So what was it that the Lord was doing? As Dr. MacArthur points out, here's an instance in which the Lord was threatening judgment, but he did not decree judgment. This is an instance in which he had said this, and he drew out of Moses this intercessory prayer on behalf of the people. And so he uses the intercessory prayer of Moses to withhold judgment from the people. Then he says to Moses, well, take the people and go. I'm not going with you. And then what does Moses do? He prays to the Lord again to go with us. And so then the Lord says, okay, I'll go with you. And then Moses says, because he needs more assurance. He doesn't know what if the Lord is going to remain with him or not, because the Lord has already got angry at this stiff-necked people and was going to destroy them. So what does Moses need? He needs more assurance. And so then he says to the Lord, show me your glory. I need more. And so the Lord uses this terrible situation, this heinous sin, to demonstrate one of the most amazing passages of Scripture to demonstrate his graciousness and love, the very character of who he is to Moses. All of that was hinged upon a prayer that Moses offered on behalf of the people that God would show the riches of who he is and his character to say to Moses, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. I will have mercy upon whom I have mercy. And he's saying to Moses, it's not dependent upon any circumstance here. It's dependent upon me to show mercy and to show compassion. No conditions. It's me. How did all that come about? Through the prayer of Moses. God uses the prayers of his people. You asked Dr. Sproul, who said, if you were to ask me, does prayer change God's mind? I would say, absolutely not. But if you ask me, does prayer change things? I would say, absolutely yes. Because God uses the prayers of his people. So before you defeat your prayer, you offer it in faith. You trust in God and you say, if it be your will. And you keep seeking after it until you have an answer, either yes or no. And even if it's no, it's not that God ignored the prayer. It's God answering the prayer. It just happens to be something different than what you wanted. Because he has another plan. Whatever is going to bring God the most glory is exactly what he's going to do. And in that, we should be praying for that also. So be people of prayer. And recognize that even in the times in which you don't know what to pray because you're so distraught or overwhelmed, whatever the case is, then be encouraged to know, be comforted to know, dear church, that you have one who is praying for you. Not only the one who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, but you have one who is in you, who is praying for you on your behalf. And so really when you look at it, there's really... There's really no need to really complain. Complain of the bearing of the cross that we have to endure at times. To complain that it's beyond our own strength. Because the fact of the matter is, is that we are sustained by another strength anyway. It's not yours. We are sustained by a great power. And that is the Holy Spirit himself who bears our burdens, who helps us in our weakness, who prays on our behalf, who lifts us up, who lays hold of us, who brings us along in the Christian life. So know this, that when you are weak, know that he's strong. When you can hardly utter a word because your heart is breaking, the Spirit of God is uttering those words for you. When sin has overwhelmed you, even then, the Spirit of God has not abandoned you, but is praying for you and praying not only for God to be glorified, but praying for your good. 
regardless of the outcome. Because that's exactly what he goes into in verse 28. That all things work together for good. Rob Ventura, he says, when we cannot find words in which to express our prayer and can do no better, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. So be encouraged. You got one that is praying for you when you don't know what to pray, and he's praying in accordance with the will of God. Pray for those things that are revealed in Scripture. Pray for those desires that are on your heart, that are honorable, that you believe would honor Christ. Seek after him until you get an answer. And know that the Spirit of God is the one who will bring you along in your times of trouble. He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's bearing your burden. He's providing all you need in your church. So be comforted in that. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, thank you so much for the work of the Spirit of God that he is doing in us and on our behalf. Thank you that he helps us in our weakness because we are weak. We are limited in our knowledge. Father, we, we still struggle with sin. But we thank you that, that he knows exactly what we need. We thank you that he has great affection for us. That he has great emotion as he groans, Father, giving to you exactly what is needed. Thank you for his love, for his continued presence with us. And how we pray, Father, that indeed he would continue to do that great work in us, that we would manifest on the outside what he is doing on the in. Father, thank you. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for your continued love and your continued grace, even in our times of sin. We owe you everything. Everything that we ever hoped to be is because of you. Father, let us honor you in our life. Be glorified in us and use us mightily for your honor. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said, amen.